the hospital is really a case study in dysfunction, department to department, uh, office to office, clinical specialty to clinical specialty. Uh, everywhere we look, there seem to be problems. That was a description of the long-troubled Martin Luther King Drew Medical Center before it closed its doors to inpatients eight years ago. It recently reopened on a much smaller scale. Does it have a new prognosis? Coming up on the Payers and Providers podcast. The locals called it Killer King. That would be the former Martin Luther King Drew Medical Center in Willowbrook, an unincorporated community adjacent to South Los Angeles. When it opened in 1972, it was meant as a sort of phoenix rising from the ashes of the 1965 Watts riots, a way to address the dearth of medical services in South Los Angeles, while also serving as a point of pride for the community. King Drew was seen as a training ground and place of employment for what W.E.B. Du Bois referred to as the Talented Tenth, in this case, the elite of Southern California's African-American community. Those hopes never really materialized. As soon as it was opened, the hospital was overwhelmed with patients, many of them seriously ill. That placed the medical and nursing staff into a ruthless and never-ending grind. And because of the skill sets required, few of the jobs provided by the hospital were actually filled by the surrounding community, which was not only impoverished, but undereducated. This led to an us versus them mindset between patients and staff. Less than three years after it opened its doors, the Los Angeles Times began reporting about problems of cure delivery at the hospital and a fomenting culture of neglect. Huge cuts in the budgets of Los Angeles County hospitals in the mid-1970s and early 1980s only exacerbated those trends. In 1989, the Times documented a series of error-riddled surgeries at King Drew and reported that the patient mortality rate was up to 60% higher than at the other hospitals operated by Los Angeles County. The hospital briefly rallied and care improved, but it quickly flagged again. In 1992, a Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy died at King Drew due to botched care. The hospital began losing accreditations for training medical residents. In 2003 and 2004, a series of media reports documented patient deaths due to staff ignoring vital sign monitors, surgeries that went awry, and doctors faking time cards. The Times investigated the hospital again in 2004 and reported that staff was often chronically absent, engaged in physical altercations with one another, stealing drugs and supplies, and even selling bootleg DVDs and jars of peanuts. Supplies were lacking, walls were gouged, mattresses were worn, and yet King Drew spent more money per patient than any other county hospital. Covering this hospital was a surrealistic experience because every time you thought that you had heard everything there was to hear or um, read everything there was to read, you saw something that sort of blew your socks off yet again. That was Charles Ornstein. He shared a Pulitzer Prize for his coverage of King Drew a decade ago for the Los Angeles Times. He's now a senior reporter with the nonprofit investigative journalism organization ProPublica. Ornstein's most memorable story connected to the hospital is horrifying. There was a situation of a former resident of the hospital who was charged with um, murdering a former patient at the hospital, um, and it came out came out during our reporting that the resident had taken the patient to the hospital and was caught by security with um, him in a closed ward with a video camera and other 
sexual paraphernalia, and nothing was really done as a consequence of that. And ultimately, that uh, former resident was charged, and I believe convicted of murder. In May 2007, the last straw for King occurred. A patient named Edith Rodriguez died after writhing on the waiting room floor and vomiting blood for 45 minutes. This happened after her third visit to the hospital in as many days to seek treatment for stomach pains, which had been caused by a perforated bowel. Two 911 calls were made to try and seek help for Rodriguez, the first one from her boyfriend. Hey, uh, the emergency room, uh, my wife is, uh, is dying and the nurses don't want to help her out. Okay, what do you mean she's dying? Uh, she's vomiting blood. The second call came from a bystander, and it pretty much summed up the state of care at the King Drew Medical Center. What's your emergency? There's a lady on the, on the ground, uh, and here in the emergency room, and talking with the king, and they are overlooking her claim, and they keep getting discharged, and she's definitely sick, and everybody's ignoring her. What would you want me to do, Cream Ma'am? Send an ambulance out here to take us. Okay, you're at the you're at the hospital, ma'am. You have to contact them. They have a problem. They won't help us. Well, you know they're they're the medical professionals. Okay, you're already at a hospital. Within three months, the hospital lost its funding from the Medicare and Medicaid programs, and it closed to inpatients. But King Drew did not disappear completely. Outpatients continued to be treated at a clinic that remained on the hospital grounds, and local politicians such as L.A. County Supervisor Mark Ridley-Thomas, continue to press for the hospital's reopening. The reopening of the Martin Luther King Medical Center has been uh, a very, very high uh, priority uh, for uh, many of us who are advocates for the quality of health care uh, throughout the county of Los Angeles. Uh, it is essential to efforts to provide uh, quality health care and access uh, to the residents of the uh, second supervisorial district um, to strengthen the county's uh, system of emergency medical services and to essentially reinforce uh, the service uh, safety net, the human service safety net here in the county of Los Angeles. That was Ridley Thomas in 2008 not long after the hospital had closed its doors to inpatients. Politically speaking, it was a time when reopening King was considered a remote likelihood at best. But Ridley Thomas has held elective office in South L.A. for nearly a quarter century, and he is easily the region's most powerful politician. That's signified by the fact that many locals just refer to him by his initials, MRT. Both he and his constituents saw that reopening King would be just as important for South L.A., as when it had opened nearly 40 years before, and it therefore became a primary goal during his tenure as supervisor. It's just a very important hospital, very important project. That's Rebecca Bales. She's a senior vice president with the Camden Group, a Los Angeles area firm that provides consulting services to hospitals throughout the United States. Camden was involved with virtually every facet of King's reopening, and Bale served as the facility's chief financial officer from 2012 until earlier this year. Meanwhile, Ridley Thomas kept pushing for funds to reopen the hospital. He's mostly succeeded. Both the county and state have guaranteed additional funding to King to ensure its solvency, including supplemental Medi-Cal payments. A nonprofit corporation was created to run it. That served two purposes. It removed the Board of Supervisors from direct oversight of King, making its operation less political. 
It also eliminated many of the civil service job roles that made it difficult to remove troublesome employees. Yet, even without such employment protections in place, Bale said that thousands of people have applied for jobs at the new hospital. When people interview and even go to our webpage, it's, it's pretty obvious that we're a private nonprofit hospital and we have a public partnership with the county. So the employees are actually employees of a nonprofit corporation, MLK Community Hospital. And the county's really not involved in the um, day to day management. Elaine Batchelor, a no nonsense physician with degrees from Harvard, UCLA, and Case Western Reserve University, and an extensive resume in public health delivery, policy, and insurance, was appointed to run the facility. And while there were budget overruns and missed deadlines, King had the equivalent of a cold opening in May, treating the requisite number of inpatients before it could re enter the Medicare and Medicaid programs. It officially opened for business in July. Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital is licensed to operate 131 beds, about 300 fewer than in its first incarnation. It is focused on obstetrics and other bread-and-butter acute care services. Trauma care patients are sent elsewhere for care. Set among the unadorned, semi-brutalist buildings of the former hospital's mental health center and dormitories for medical residents, the spotless new hospital represents a striking contrast to its past. A new sculpture near its main entrance by Lawrence Argent, an Australian native on the faculty of the University of Denver and known for his public artworks, sets its tone. For Pieces Together, Argent interviewed 32 members of the local community, then created images of their mouths for the sculpture. Those mouths have been fitted together in a way to represent a jigsaw puzzle piece. Inside the new king, blues and silvers are the predominant colors. There is a meditative garden near the hospital's main entrance. The cafeteria boasts a separate coffee bar and serves dishes such as flatbread pizzas, gourmet pastas, and an abundance of fresh vegetables. There are kiosks where visitors can surf the web and check their emails. Patient rooms are all private. They include high-tech gadgetry, such as beds that can weigh the patients and gauge their vital signs. Wraparound windows provide views of the downtown Los Angeles skyline. Convertible beds are available in the rooms so family members can stay overnight. I paid a visit to King as its official dedication ceremony was underway across the street. Alonzo Baylor, a 55-year-old resident of South L.A. who is visiting his eye, ear, nose, and throat specialist, made a very vivid comparison between the old hospital and the new. The way it was different to me is that when you go in there, it feel like you in jail because you don't have no windows or nothing. And then when you come out of there, you feel relief. Okay, but it's just like you smothered in there. There no, no air or nothing. You know, it stayed cold. Now this hospital got air, the sun coming in, and I like this one better. Another patient, an immigrant from Belize who would only give me your first name, Gamas, Praise the medical staff. Like when you go to, 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 to the nurses or, or the doctors, um, they did, didn't have the, the, the attention, the good attention. But now everything is in, in order. So when you say good attention, I mean, did you have to wait a long time to see oh, a doctor? Oh, yeah. And mm -hmm. did they not pay attention to what, did they uh -huh. not listen to you? Uh, when exactly, you okay. that's right. So how long do you have to wait now when you go see a doctor? Here? Yes. Uh, not even 45 minutes. Another patient, 46-year-old Sherry Patton, 
explain why it was so difficult to see a doctor at the old King Drew. Well, the old hospital was very busy. It was a lot of trauma, <laughs> you know, so they had a lot of work to do. So they didn't have as much time for regular patients as myself. So uh, in, how about the hospital building? How does this compare to the old hospital? Oh, wow. That's a big difference. It's a very I, big I, difference. It's way better here than the old hospital. Do you think Do you think it makes it easier for you to you know, respond to treatment and stuff like it that? It makes kind of, you calmer. So tell me about that. It, it just makes you calmer. You feel more relaxed. Yet despite the apparent transformation of King, there remains a barrier of sorts around the reopened hospital. No one in charge wished to speak with me on the record. Emails, texts, and phone calls to King's spokesperson all went unreturned. And while the new King is decidedly calmer than its predecessor, it is also far less inhabited. Currently, its daily census is about two dozen patients, which means about 80% of its beds are currently empty. And the outpatient center's waiting room, while busy, remained far from full. Rebecca Bales of the Camden Group says that's mostly by design, to ensure the hospital doesn't get overwhelmed from the beginning, an issue that had bedeviled the old king when it originally opened in 1972. Eventually, Bales said, though, the hospital may expand its mission. Someday they may have trauma, and someday they may have a graduate medical education program, but not now. They Right now they're focused on being a community hospital, really good quality. ProPublica's Charles Ornstein doesn't necessarily think that's a problem. I don't think any hospital wants to open their doors and be flooded right from the beginning. I think that they want to have it as a learning experience, get the staff comfortable with the care they're providing, get the patients more and more comfortable with coming to the hospital, you know, re-engaging with the community, re-engaging with clinics, re-engaging with ambulances. This is a process that takes time, and I think, to me, it's, it's not at all surprising that you would see a slow ramp-up. I wouldn't expect it to be flooded. I think if in a year it's still 20% occupancy, that's a very different story. Ornstein also believes that the ties between the community and the hospital, although at times conflicted, are closer than many think. I don't think it was strictly distrustful. I think that there were many people in the community who had relatives who were saved at the hospital, as well as relatives who died at the hospital. And so even within the same family, you saw sometimes this conflict pop up up because they had both uh, relatives who they felt were um, survived because of the care they received at the hospital and relatives who they felt died because of the care that was received. Ultimately, the new King Hospital will be judged not in its sculptures, decor, or even the transparency of its management. It will only be judged on the quality of care it delivers. A lot of work has been done to reestablish King Hospital, but a lot of work, no doubt, remains ahead. The Payers and Providers podcast is a production of Payers and Providers Publishing, LLC. Music is by Steve Combs. Comments, questions, or suggestions? Please contact us by email at editor at payersandproviders.com, via Twitter at the handle payersproviders, or by phone at area code 323-547-4307.